Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Dao Da Jing to uncover its timeless wisdom and discuss how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm Ian Felton, practicing psychotherapist. I'm joined by my co-host, executive coach and consultant, David Wong. Good morning, David. Good morning, Ian. Happy 4th of July. Happy 4th. How are, how are um, things going to be on the 4th and, and your neck of the woods? Well, uh, well, uh, we're not planning to do any kind of events, but I'm thinking of maybe find, uh, you know, an hour or two to look into some of the uh, documentaries, you know, on Netflix, mm. and also another uh, uh, another uh, service I subscribe to is called a Curiosity Stream. You know, it's all mm. documentaries. So I want to, you know, maybe just use this moment to, uh, you know, look at some of the stories of the the founding fathers. Oh, that sounds pretty interesting. Maybe I've, you've got me thinking. Maybe I'll try to get on Netflix and, and see what I can find there as well. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the interesting thing is uh, I find every time, you know, certainly we have, you know, uh, changed so much since maybe 200, this year is like 245 years, right? Hmm. Uh, 1776. But, you know, when I think about it, you know, the time uh when the the nation was founded you know the the key principles especially you know the land of the freedom you know liberty uh you know sometimes i i, I could i can't help wondering you know if there's some connection you know that notion of liberty has some connection with some of the Taoist ideas you know in terms of the uh, natural order of things and uh, to what a role, you know, in kind of what role government should play, things like that. So. That sounds like a, a great topic of conversation. And um, maybe we can carve out some time in our discussion today and, and talk about that, because I think it immediately made me think of a lot of things. So I think that's sure. um uh, a great thing to introduce to our, our viewers as, as one of our topics of discussion. Sure. Let's get started. All right. Well, um, would you like to, so we're doing chapter 71. We've um, got a very brief reading today, but would you like to do the reading for us? Sure. Shang. I feel like when I read this, it's like a tongue twister. Mm. What is it? Uh, uh, like uh, a bing, shang, you know, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, a, you know, like a, it requires some a twist of your tongue, like a tongue twister. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Rao Koling. Rao Koling, yes. Mm -hmm. So would you like to uh, do a uh, English translation of this? Yeah, 
I, I think this one, even the translation, it's so simple, but it's very cryptic. And I, and I think that because of its cryptic nature, today in our discussion, we'll, we'll try to make sense of it because it's, it's definitely um, not obvious what's being said here. But the, the translation that I'm going to use today um, rather than doing my own translation, I'm using a translation from Lao Tzu's Tao uh, Te uh, Ching, um, translated by Red Pine, mm. um, and that's with selected commentaries from the past 2,000 years. That's one of the translations that I generally like. So Red Pine says, to understand yet not understand is transcendence. Not to understand, yet understand, is affliction. The reason sages aren't afflicted is because they treat affliction as affliction, hence they aren't afflicted. Mm. And, and there's a lot of repetition there, and there's obviously a lot of double meanings that each, each time a word is used, it, it has a double meaning and, and so i'm wondering if we can get into some of maybe what Lao Tzu means by that mm -hmm. um double meaning and then i have some some questions for you how does that sound sure yes so maybe we could just first start talking about this this kind of uh, understanding um how do you think Lao Tzu means uh, understanding in, in this chapter? Mm -hmm. I think uh, understanding uh, here uh, is associated with knowledge. Mm -hmm. you know, of course, those two things are not necessarily the same. Mm -hmm. you know, some people can have a lot of knowledge, but hasn't really achieved you know, a good level of understanding. Mm -hmm. I think the contrast here is very interesting. Uh, one is considered to be more at a uh, higher level, Shang. Uh, mm. The other one is like more of, a, uh, you know, of affliction or some kind of a dysfunctionality in here. Yeah, this um, Bing. thing is Bing. usually means usually talks about a, a physical disease, but Lao Tzu here is talking about uh, a disease of the spirit or soul. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So the contrast is, you know, somebody who, uh, who, who, who knows there's still something that he or she doesn't quite understand. Uh, you know, this is considered to be really somebody who is, uh, you know, is humble, but certainly wiser. I remember in other chapters, uh, he has another, uh, he, he has another uh, saying, knowing somebody, knowing somebody else is wise, but knowing yourself uh, is considered to be enlightened. Uh, I, I see them as a kind of a, in the same kind of areas of Lao Tzu's key wisdom basically, you know, are we wise enough to know what we don't know? Um, 
I, I think it's not just in the Eastern tradition. I remember in the Western tradition, you know, when, you know, back in the old days of the ancient Greece, Socrates, you know, was considering mm. Athens as somebody who is a wise man, you know, according to the, the Oracle, right? Mm. So he went around and, uh, you know, interview people who are considered to be like smart in their field. Finally, he came to the conclusion, perhaps he is considered wise because he, he knows that he doesn't know. You know, that's the ultimate uh, wisdom to know that we don't know. Mm. And I see a parallel here, you know, different, you know, cultures, you know, at maybe even uh, different or the same time. I, I believe Socrates time and, uh, and uh, Lao Tzu's time, they all consider in the area, I think some scholars consider it's called Asio age, you know, like the age of Axis, where mm. suddenly across the globe, like uh, Buddha, Confucius, Lao Tzu, and uh, Plato and Socrates, you know, these wise people emerge almost at the same time. Wow, it's like how they talk about calculus kind of arising at different times, or even like the pyramid shapes, how the Egyptians and the, the Aztecs were building these giant pyramid shaped things at the same time, that there's something strange, almost like a, a Jungian universal unconscious that mm -hmm. arises across the species simultaneously, that we can be in different geographical locations, but we're kind of experiencing something throughout the species across time and space almost there's something exactly about exactly it. It, it 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 sounds like uh all the stars you know are aligned right they, yeah it's and, and and one of those mysteries still that has never been fully uh, unraveled but without going um off on a, a a tangent so to kind of summarize there's knowledge which is superficial knowledge which is what generally western education and and obviously i think the education in, in china it's the same kind of thing like it's the fulfilling same. yeah yeah fulfilling a uh maybe a social economic function yeah. uh economic you know, mainly yeah yeah i think the i think for a long period of time especially after the introduction of the civil service the entrance examination mm knowledge is pursued as a pathway to you know being a official in the government so it's more utilitarian uh in that respect it's probably similar as today we go to university to get the credentials so that we can uh, be hired right we can be mm -hmm. uh, get a job with a certain employers so that kind yeah. of a knowledge um I think it has its place, but if we kind of overrate that kind of knowledge, that does lead to some kind of a affliction, maybe, you know, uh, sickness in some way. Yeah, and, and maybe can we talk a little bit about that spiritual sickness? What, what do you think Lao Tzu means by this, this spiritual sickness, the, the bing? Bing. Bing. Um, I think uh, 
because you know when we think about the physical sickness, it's usually out of balance, right? You know, when we live an immoderate life, you know, like we went, mm -hmm. we try to overeat or you know overworked, we get sick. Mm -hmm. So that's physical. I guess similar th thing with the mental or psychological, even in the area of knowledge. So if we, I think there, Lao Tzu recognizes that there's a natural instinct, uh, there's a natural inclination for humans to know, right? Just as mm. a, you know, as a human being, we have a desire to, we, we want, want to know naturally, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, we want to make sense of, of the world. Yes, yes. The problem is, if you go overboard, it causes a problem. So mm. from that respect, you know, it's, I think it's the out of balance, out of, it's, it's the lack of moderation, perhaps that leads to Mm. So it's a it's going back to the three treasures. We we need to have some amount of knowledge to navigate our modern time. Like we have to know what what the what the modern rules are. We have to kind of know the modern etiquette. We kind of have to keep our hand on the pulse of the modern culture mm -hmm. and and what are the modern roles and that sort of thing so that we can navigate it but we also still have to keep this place where we recognize that this is all kind of make-believe that if if you were born a hundred years later in a different place in the world none of this would matter none of this knowledge would mean a, a thing that there's some other type of knowledge that's more important and, and when we don't recognize that and when we place sort of too much emphasis on just the situ the knowledge of the current situation then we get the spiritual sickness and and maybe some of that is like arrogance or what else what other labels can we kind of put on that um spiritual sickness like a uh arrogance or um uh, hubri is that mm. the, the mm -hmm. word because yeah, you're, you're, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Over uh, in the latest book by the uh, you know the uh, scholar at uh, uh, University of Pennsylvania, you know mm. the guy who wrote the book Give and Take, you know, uh, mm. yeah, Adam Grant. Uh, his latest book is called a Rethink. Uh, it's a Think Again, Think Again. Mm. Mm. Uh, basically, you know, I could uh, see that he wrote the book in the general context of our polarized world, because we are all stuck uh, using his terminology is the overconfidence cycle. So mm. when you look at the diagram in the book, you know, you see that a lot that of that overconfidence cycle has a lot to do with our pride. And then driven by that pride, you know, we seek information that almost like, uh, you know, uh, echo chamber, right? Mm -hmm. uh, just to come validate or confirm what we already believe. So that creates mm -hmm. the cycle there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so, so one thing that I'm hearing is that the, the one sickness is that we stop growing. Mm -hmm. If we stay in the echo chamber, we're not going to grow any more because we're going to kind of feel like, Oh, well, I've, I've, I, I, I've, 
I've got this all figured out now, and so why listen to other people? I'm just going to listen to the echo chamber of people who think like I do, and so I'm not going to grow emotionally or spiritually anymore. Right, right. From a personal development perspective, and of course,、uh, we every day we interact with others. So if we、uh, have that, we if we get sick because of this. Then it will、uh, pollu- it will damage the human relationships because、mm. then、uh, we believe that we are, we are Mister Know It All, and then who、mm. wants to hang out with Mister Know It All, right? So, no one does. Right, and so that's the another one, like how it impacts negatively the human relationships. The third one, you know, from uh, the kind of job uh, uh, you know I do with executives. I can see that once that kind of person is placed in a powerful position,、uh, it impacts the、uh, the decision he or she has made because、mm. he has full confidence、uh, in the reasoning and all the other people because of his pow- the power differential. You know, tend to say yes, 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 and then he go ahead and you know spend a bunch of money to buy. You know another company, which you know wasn't a good idea to buy,、uh, you know to start with, and then you know the company was required was acquired,、uh, you know that person you know was you know feel really like powerful to acquire a company, but it never really realized the the you know the value originally imagined. There you know according to some statistics, the there's like a three. You know, almost like seventy-five percent of the mergers and acquisitions fail、hmm. because of a bad decision made in the first place. Wow! So this this bad decision is obviously people that think that their decision they know. Like, here's the decision. It started somewhere,、yeah. right? Somebody, made that decision, right? <laughs>、yeah. how, how did it happen? I, I think it's the,、uh, you know. The leader and also the all the dynamics surrounding that leader.、Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it yeah, does it reinforce it? Yeah, and so you know, going back to this chapter, when I read it, I find you know there.、Uh, you know, our world is riddled with these examples, like the sickness. Yeah, yeah, 不知知 yeah, 不知知 And and there was something that you said、um, early on in your listing when you were talking about how it can damage human relationships and and I think ultimately that was that was the thing that really resonated with me because I think when I think about Dao De Jing a lot I think about two things constant change、mm-hmm. one. And the other being harmony, yes, harmony、yeah. within everything, yeah. And and so if we're looking for harmony within humanity to、um, help us navigate, I mean, we say it in in our intro, the this chaotic world of constant right. change, right? That that harmony can only be created throughout the human species. By recognizing that we don't know, we don't know the other person's experience. We don't know, 
an objective reality that it it's because of our ability to communicate in language and and actually distribute knowledge that I, I have a little piece of the puzzle you have a little piece of the puzzle the other people in our if we were living in a little village like we used to live in of let's say roughly a hundred people each one of those people has a little piece of the knowledge mm -hmm. and when everyone understands that that oh i i'm one set of eyes but there's a hundred set of eyes and we have to use language to really communicate mm -hmm. to each other to to get that bigger knowledge that arises that that harmony that arises when we all understand oh each one of us has something valuable to share mm. with each other and so we have to humble ourselves open up our ears and listen to each other right so that we can navigate these changes this chaos right 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 i think what you're saying is very interesting which led me to uh, wonder how harmony happens so when harmony there's a harmonious relationship between you know one individual with the other what kind of conditions need to exist for that relationship to have a certain level of harmony you know what are the key maybe attributes of that then maybe we can trace back from these attributes to um you know this knowledge piece this uh zhi piece mm -hmm. So I'm going to start with a specific example that just came to mind, work to a broader point and then work to the to connect it to what you just said. Um, so the specific example that I thought of was just from my experience playing music and mm -hmm. in, in improvisational music mm -hmm. with with people. And that is um, everyone has to be deeply listening to each other mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and only only if every single person that's that's performing the music is deeply listening to every everybody and their part mm -hmm. in it mm -hmm. do, does the improvisational music arise in a way where we can call it music where the audience recognizes its music they feel it they get into a trance state. I mean, that's really what we're talking about with music. Where, it, when when people are fully open to it and it's being performed a certain way, mm -hmm. there's a trance state that arises. Um, right. And so, that specific thing that I'm talking about, deeply listening. If we now, I'm going to ex extrapolate it into that broader quality that I mentioned, and I think we can call it openness. Open and and that actually, if if you look at psychological research, if we look at you know the type of knowledge that we're talking about as that can be superficial, that openness is one of the big five personality traits that mm -hmm. all of the research that's been done on personality, the big five is the most well researched, well founded, kind of factored out model of of personality. And, you know, openness is, is one of those. So I think that's that kind of general thing that can create harmony 
I think there has to be a sense of openness um, with each other. I mean, maybe not openness about every single thing, mm -hmm. but at least openness to hearing what each other has to, to say and what each other has to communicate. I right. think that's that's the foundation of, of harmony. Right. How how does that openness then translate into, let's say, so say, you know, let, let's use two people, for example, you and me. So if I feel your openness, right? So you are, you have a higher level of openness uh, toward me. How does that openness uh, translate into something I experience as an individual? That well, makes it's me safety. Safety. Okay. Safety. Yeah. I think open. So I think that's a great probe because it's that. I think the openness does create safety. That that when people recognize, oh, this person is is open to me. Mm -hmm. There's one. I think first a sense of trust, and then safety also gets derived from that. Mm -hmm. um, I had a conversation this weekend with some people that I'm working on a project with. We're talking about discomfort and how discomfort is actually necessary, like kind of, and, and I think it relates directly to this knowledge. Like sometimes people want to calcify their knowledge that creates this kind of disease because they don't want to feel discomfort. Like they want to feel so secure in their knowledge. Right. But discomfort is necessary. It's discomfort that leads to growth. It's discomfort that leads to um, being able to navigate the changes of life. But when we don't feel safe and we feel discomfort, that can be traumatic, mm -hmm. particular, I mean, particularly for people who already have a history of, of trauma. Um, but if we feel safe and we feel security, then we'll allow ourselves to feel discomfort. And then it's through that discomfort that we're willing to modify our knowledge, our, our kind of framework for how we're seeing the world and how we're trying to navigate the world. I see. I see. So that's a sense of safety. Uh, in your experience, uh, do you see people with more knowledge uh, have a, a, you know, a higher sense of security? Or do you think people have little knowledge who have higher sense of security, just like experientially? Well, I think if we, I, I don't think it's the knowledge that, that does it. So there, I'll, I'll bring up two things. Mm -hmm. One, it seems like people who are part of religious communities have more of a sense of safety mm. than people that, that aren't. You could say mm. it's their faith that gives them that security, which we could say is knowledge. Like I know. Another like I, kind of knowledge. It's not yeah. necessarily the, uh, the uh, fact, maybe factual uh, mm -hmm. or like in the university, that kind of knowledge, right? Yeah. But it's right. a spiritual knowledge. That yep. give them the security. Yep. And and we could say that, but what I actually wonder, and I don't know that this is that there's much research on this, but I think intuitively what I sense is that it's not 
necessarily the faith so much that gives them mm-hmm. that security, but that they belong within a group of people that accepts them and vice versa, and that there's an actual sense of a support network of, of human beings that they know are, are going to help them. That, 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 that plays the, a role. That, that, that plays a role. Belonging. Yeah. What if they ventured beyond that group? Do they feel insecure again? I, I mean, it's hard to say. I think that's where it's, it's that gets in, into an individual kind of um, case by case, maybe someone who um, has, you know, a, a deeper um, sense of security inside themselves, they can go outside of that group and still feel okay or, or stable. But there might be people who, if they don't have it, and they actually get the sense of security through mm-hmm. belonging to that group, then it's going to be more challenging for them. So I think we can only we can only look at that on an individual case by case. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I sometimes I observe, uh, let's say in the academic field, right? So there are two things I observe that certain uh, more uh, knowledgeable uh, scholars uh, compare with, you know, some people who are just on their way to acquire mm. that knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, the greater knowledge they have, actually, paradoxically, you know, they're kind of a less arrogant than the, the people who are still uh, trying to prove themselves. Mm. They have a more secure, and they say they give much more room in acknowledging the uncertainties mm. than the, the cocksure uh, kind of a, uh, you know, some people who are trying to acquire knowledge. So that's number one I observe. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I do feel like sometimes maybe one way to, uh, you know, overcome this sense of insecurity being is to keep learning, to acquire no, more knowledge to mm-hmm. some extent, relatively mm-hmm. speaking. Uh, because when, it's, when people, you know, just like the word sophomore, it means wise fool. Mm. Right. So you are not quite there yet, but you are still you are not like uh, know nothing. Mm. Well, you know nothing. You probably have some kind of a humility, but you are half full. You believe you have more than you do. Then that causes the problem. So uh, so from that perspective, I, I, I would make the observation that uh, keep learning, keep growing knowledge uh, is one of the ways to cultivate that kind of a type of humility. Um, yeah, it reminds me of uh, a professor that I had mm. one time on, on a trip that I think just did just start kind of fundamentally changing my perspective on the world, but it was a geology professor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember him saying, we were going out to California to study the Sierra Nevada mountains and, mm-hmm. and, um, just a a beautiful place. But he said, you know, I used to feel like I was walking on the stable ground, like, you know, a a country. Mm. And as I've gotten older and study and learn more, I feel like I'm just on an island and this island keeps eroding into the sea. And now there's barely even 
a piece of sand left for me to put my foot on. Interesting. That reminds me of also uh, something that, uh, uh, you know, uh, Newton uh, said. He, you know, other people say, oh, such a great, you know, genius. But he said he, in his mind, he was like a, a little kid, uh, you know, playing on the beach, uh, collecting all the, pe the pebbles while seeing the ocean kind of receding. You know, there's still, mm. you know, there's a wide horizon over there that is unknown to him. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that, that sounded like the, you know, the professor, you know, who shared mm -hmm. that experience with you. So maybe in that kind of a world of knowledge, you know, there are people like Einstein, similar thing, you know, he's not the kind of the traditional kind of religious as many people think. But he has a, that sense of awe. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's the one point uh, uh, I want to share and kind of a you know that observation. The second one is also uh, going back to the people you say the you know in the who have faith. Uh, I raised the question once. You know, you 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 made the point that uh, maybe their security, their safety comes from that sense of belonging. So I raised the question. You know, maybe, you know, some people who uh, once they get out of that group, do they feel still safe? Similar thing, I, I think, with the academias, you know, sometimes when they uh, go out of their bubble, they see the much more wider, complex world. Uh, I'm not sure they are secure enough when things start to happen and the dynamics doesn't fit into their whatever framework they come up with whatever model they come with. So during that time, can they remain cool? Can they remain confident? I'm not so sure. Yeah, it makes me think of Mike Tyson had a quote, and, and I'll get to the quote, but if we think about that knowledge that we're talking about that can be really refined in academics where it's like their plan for the day where everything gets gets structured through how they've organized that knowledge and, and that like confidence that they have around it. And Mike Tyson said, you know, regarding someone who might fight him mm -hmm. and and might have a, a plan for how they're going to defeat him. And and a reporter asked him about you know, his opponent's plan or whatever. And Mike Tyson just said, everybody's got a plan until they get hit. I see. <laughs> yeah. And so these <laughs> academics kind of like when they're in their office and writing their papers and their plan can unfold in like these very controlled settings that they, they, they really believe like, I know how to execute my plan. It's perfect. Yep. But when they step outside of that, world into real life and something about real life blindslides them it's like that hit from mike tyson like how's your plan working now exactly exactly yes so you see two kinds of people uh you know uh when they uh, face that situation one is the right so they acknowledge there's still so much uh ambiguities you know uncertainties in the real world they mm -hmm. acknowledge it so i would you know, deeply respect those kind of uh, intellectuals. But then there's other types, you know, when their plan kind of falls flat, right? Falls apart. 
they continue to defend it and fiercely, you know, try mm -hmm. to prove they are right. Mm -hmm. Then these are the kind of people who are probably, you know, as Lao Tzu said, is like a more on the on the big side of yeah. things. Yeah, they're they have a sickness and, and it's going to be hard for them to get better. Yeah, yeah. So what are some so if, if we really focus on now that we, I think we've we've covered, you know, how important it is to um, not cling to this knowledge and not get afflicted with this sickness. How can we get rid of this knowledge? How can we get rid of our affliction? I think that's really the big question. If we think about walking the timeless way, how can we address this knowledge so that we're not afflicted by it? Right. Um, uh, first of all, in my opinion, uh, as long as we are human, there's no chance we're going to be free 100% from it. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I just feel like you know, maybe mm -hmm. on a continuum, you know, certain people are because of their, you know, self-awareness or, you know, other at, and, uh, you know, aided by their lots of experience. Mm -hmm. They are less aff afflicted than other people. But we are all on that, con you know, continuum and we'll never reach that of that state. We are completely uh, free from this affliction, as long as we are human being. So that's, uh, you know, I cannot prove it, but you know, based on a lot of things I read about, I observe, that's the kind of the bottom line thing. Then the question is, if that's the case, then, you know, how can we become less afflicted? Mm-hmm. And I think even that point that you made, it's it's kind of that admitting that 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 not knowing. Like one of the things that I have to accept is that there, I'm always going to be afflicted by this knowledge in in some way. That I can't be cured and then enlightened and then like have that pure mm -hmm, mm -hmm. knowledge. Like mm -hmm. it's just part of the human condition that yes, yes, I'm going to have some amount of affliction. Yes, yes. At least that's po my point of view. Maybe there are other, uh, you know, schools of thought. Maybe, you know, through certain, you know, practice. Uh, it seems like, you know, if I have to kind of recall, you know, the teachings from, you know, different faiths and religions and spirituality, I do think certain schools of thought are dangling that carrot, like say, oh, once you do this, you mm -hmm. will reach that. Um, yeah. For some reason, I'm, I'm, I'm at this stage of my life and life experience, I'm still skeptical about it. But I, I know yeah. through some kind of uh, mindfulness, be more deliberate about it, be more conscious about it, we can do better than we are doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and yeah, I'm I was reading a book this morning called actually The Tao of Um Feeling Fully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's about trauma. But the very first part of the book, 
the author, Pete Walker, he's talking about that very thing, which is that so many religious traditions are, are actually trying to encourage people to run from their human experience. Like, oh, if you just follow this path that I lay out, like you, you'll be enlightened and you'll be able to transcend mm -hmm. the human experience and all this suffering and you'll just be in the state of bliss. And, and mm -hmm. you know, and he, and he calls bullshit on that. He's like, no, that's not, that's not what we're meant to be. We're meant to be fully human. We're meant to feel mm. all of these feelings, not just the ones that we say are good, like happiness and contentment. We're, we're supposed to feel a huge range of emotions. That's why we have them because it's those feelings that help us navigate mm -hmm. life in our environment. And so he would agree a hundred percent with what you're saying, which is that no, the, the purpose of religion should not be to make people believe that there's some transcendent state that they can get into where now they're just above it all. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's certainly, you know, kind of a one extreme. Uh, I see two extremes in the world. One extreme say, hey, don't even try, right? We're mm -hmm. just a human being. Like we're mm -hmm. just like all, you know, chemicals or atoms, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's nothing really like, it, it, you know, it's like, it's a cold, dark universe over there, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we're just like uh, some kind of a matter, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. Nothing more than that. So we're not real. Yeah, we are not real. Things like that. So the, uh, the so what that ends up to, I mean, a lot of uh, ways of life. You know, so something like so. Oh, let's eat and drink. Let's have fun, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing beyond. You know, yeah. the things like that. Um, you know, just to uh, satisfy our you know instant desires. So that's the most important thing. That's probably the most meaningful thing. Well, the other thing is like, oh, you know, there's this spiritual world. Then if we work hard, you know, we went through these methodologies, we're going mm -hmm. to reach that apex of this, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I see another extreme. That can mm -hmm. be, uh, as this uh, you know, writer you wrote about, is trying to maybe... I don't know, insulate or numb us yeah. uh, so that we're not really living a life. We're living yeah. something in here. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a great way of putting it. Both of those extremes, I think that was a great analysis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what and you know, really boils down maybe just to acknowledge from the start that, you know, our inherent um, I sort of see a, a tension in being a human. Uh, we're dignified. You know, there's certain, like, a specialness in us uh, that set us apart from, right, from that, uh, the whole universe. But also we are connected to it. So, and also we are, you know, like everything else, we're, there's imperfection. Those two things coexist in being human. If we can hold those two you know, seemingly opposing things in our mind and heart and 
and navigate through this life, maybe that's the best, that's the best we can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For, I mean, fully embrace our humanity, not just pleasure and sensation, but our trauma or our suffering, our, our ignorance while also recognizing that there's something peculiar mm -hmm. about our humanity that, that we seem to be able to also grasp some spiritual essence in the yeah. universe. Yeah. Or maybe accomplish more than the other kind of a beings in the way, you know, it's becoming um, a little bit of a, active maybe participant i mean different life forms participating nature in different ways because of that mm -hmm. particularity as you said maybe we sense something more a little bit but even that sensing some more doesn't give us uh, ultimately this the privilege of being something detached or way above everything else. Exactly. And that's where I was, I was getting a little queasy because I think if we have to look at what humans have been able to accomplish, it, it's only happened within the context of an ecosystem that mm -hmm. humanity, if this was just a planet of water and rock, mm -hmm. we wouldn't have accomplished anything. Like right. the, the only reason why humanity has accomplished anything is because of all of the First, bacteria, like our bodies are 50% bacteria. Mm -hmm. Like we're, we're not even, like what we call our bodies isn't even just like our human form. It's actually composed of um, half of our mass is bacteria of mm -hmm. all these tiny little organisms. Right. And so like bacteria, like we're intricately connected to bacteria. We can't exist without bacteria. So I don't even know that we can even claim mm -hmm. our human form as being something that we own because without these simple organisms, we couldn't exist, let alone, you know, where would the human species be without grass and trees right, right, and, and right. insects? Like, so we're not even, we can't even claim to be a separate species we're just one aspect of the ecosystem. Yep. And right now we're doing a piss poor job of our of being responsible for that. Right, 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 right. Yeah. From that perspective, we are inseparable, you know, from, uh, uh, you know, from the rest the of earth. the earth. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and everything on the earth and everything on the earth. Yeah. Everything on Earth is almost like a sustaining, right? There's a sustaining mm -hmm. power mm -hmm. uh, for us to continue to, you know, to survive, to exist, and uh, mm -hmm. to, yeah, to flourish. Yeah, we're 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 not even a separate. We that's that knowledge, that's that disease that that thinks that we're separate and and we're not. Like we're not a separate thing at all. We're we're just a part of an expression of something much, much bigger than ourselves. Yeah, 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 that's true. And, and so what are some other ways of, of trying to dissuade ourselves of this knowledge that we're um, 
Well, I think the kind of knowledge that makes us lose touch with our modesty and our humility mm-hmm. and uh, kindness. Yeah, and kindness. Um, pragmatically, I would say maybe a few things because, you know, again, it goes back to some of the uh, leadership work I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, to uh, around us, uh, create some safe space for other people to provide different perspectives, you know, uh, just uh, give them permission, right? Uh, Of course, in the corporate world, there's usually a competition involved. So we have to still, you know, we can find maybe some uh, trusted advisors or even beyond the organizations. Like, you know, there's Mm. a terminology called the loving critic, you know, like we have like family members, right? Those family members, Mm -hmm. they don't have necessary the vested interest to have to, you know, uh, you know, cater to your ego and Mm -hmm. uh, say something good. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they just get to the bottom of things. So being surrounded with those, you know, loving critic will help us Mm. get us more grounded. I love it. Speaking. Yeah. The loving, I love the, I love the concept of the loving critic. Like that just feel, that feels just really good. And just like how much we don't want to be criticized. But if we know that someone loves us and it can hurt so bad to hear yeah, yeah, those yeah. words, I yeah. mean, it still hurts, but you're like, yeah, but damn, like I know, <laughs> I know that they love me and I know that there's, right. there's some truth in what they're saying. Right. Like in the Chinese idiom, it's called liang yao ku kou. Like I say, the uh, really good medicine has a bitter taste to it. Ku kou. Ku kou. It's a bitter, right? bitter taste. Yeah, yeah, bitter taste. You know, some of the words, you know, maybe, uh, 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 you know, harsh words we, uh, we hear from our spouse or our brother, sometimes our children. You know, any of those things will you know, bring us from a, you know, you know, what's the uh, English version for that called cut you to the size? Is that mm, cut, you know? cut you down to size? Uh, yeah. you cut mm-hmm. you down to size. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that helps. Uh, what else? Um, I think the sheer human experience, the widening of it. Uh, another idiom I can think of is called Jing Di Zhi Wa. Like a the like a frog sitting at the at the yeah. bottom of the well, yep. uh, satisfied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the more we maybe connect with different kinds of people, you know, different places, you know, read books from a, a different uh, uh, historical period. Uh, that kind of exposure and maybe ex- reflection of it will take us out of whatever box or whatever that kind of a, the castle of knowledge we build for mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because with that castle, we very easily, you know, it's our castle. Oh, you know, it's, it's so much. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the intolerance nowadays perhaps uh, has something to do with this. I, again, you know, this is yeah. my own personal theory, which is we have over as a species, we have over-identified with our thoughts, 
we are becoming a, like a cognitive yes. thing as opposed yes. to anything else. Yes, um, I love it. Keep going. It, yeah, it's two di one dimensional. So in other words, when you know some people disagree with you, if you have a more of a, a, a expanded self that has you know physical aspect of it, musical aspect of it, spiritual mm. aspect of it, yeah, not just like a thinking aspect of it, yeah, then you you don't take that personally if somebody try to poke the holes yes. in your in your thoughts or in your opinions. But nowadays yes, we, yeah. we're so um, so fragile. Yeah, it's almost like if somebody uh, you know disagree with you, they're attack attacking you as a whole person. Your whole yeah. person almost like want to you know is go extinct. So that's yeah. We we over identify with the rational mind, and we think that's us. We think, oh, I'm just what's most important about me is my rational mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the shrinkage of life itself, I feel. Yeah. Like, almost like uh, in that originally, the original, uh, that universe, there's such a larger playing field. Now we're locking ourselves in just in a small room, that mental room. <laughs> that's, yeah. You know. Yeah, and look and and look at the the world and how how that ecosystem expresses itself. I mean, every day starts off with this giant fireball erupting into the sky with all this color and beauty and you know the the weather and how you know powerful eruptions and then calm. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that's life. All yeah. I mean, all this dynamic energy that expresses itself in so many ways. It's not some. It's not a machine. Yeah. It's a dot. It's a and 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 that's the big shift that has happened from this mechanistic view of the world, like Newtonian, to a dynamic system. I mean, it's a dynamic systems view that is now. Or um, organic, right? Yes. Organic. It's unpredict unpredictable. Right. It's, it, right. It's it's interrelated, not separate. Right. It's consciousness, not matter. Right. Um, that is the world that is uh, arising out of un true understanding. Right. Right. So that kind of uh, unconscious identification with this kind of world. I think this kind of world. We're experiencing. It's obviously it's. Uh, I think definitely it's a it's a part of the larger world. Uh, it's just the human beings create a model out of it, right? So yeah. to some extent, it's artificial. But that yeah. artificial, we take it for real. That's the only world there is. Yeah. I think that's the problem. Yeah, oh. we take the rational and make a map, and then. And then try to live in the map rather than and where there's life. We we kill the life and and turn it into a two dimensional model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, find tracing back, find our way back. You know, from where we get lost. You know, maybe it's another way of. Uh, I mean, just the thought itself, mm -hmm. as you and I talked about it. I feel there's a like a liberation from it, mm. but we we have to kind of a. Uh, Maintain it and keep it, and use, and use our life as a as a testimony of a larger world. So, in other words, like it's not just like intellectually, like you and I kind of converse about it or 
comprehend about it. It's really like go out there and uh, intentionally stretch ourselves a little bit and say when we are too much in the world, either by talking or by reading, maybe just put a hard stop there and say, hey, I'm just going to play with uh, the little uh, whatever, you know, little, uh, play with pets or just go to the nature just to, you know, watch, uh, you know, or listen the birds singing or, or something like that. Well, I, I love it, David, and I don't I don't think there's anything left to say today on on that topic. So I want to, as always, thank thank you for um, spending the the time together and, and sharing your perspective with myself and and the listeners, and and also want to thank the listeners for joining us as we're all trying to walk the timeless way together. Great. Thank you for uh, the opportunity for, you know, this conversation and the opportunity to, to share with each other, you know, how as we walk the, you know, timeless way in this interesting and chaotic world.